We are live once again every Tuesday at 8. You know you can tune in to another exciting edition of the MCW cast. I'm Legacy, MCW MC, Larry Legend. Um, MCW promoter, Dan McDevitt. And I'm Tara. Welcome to the cast. And I'm so excited. You know, this is episode 33. And if you know a thing or two, then you know that 33 is a legendary number. Larry Bird. 33. Oh, gotcha. I was thinking wrestling, really. I was like, where is he going? Well, I mean, you I know, I'm, no idea. <laughs> I am. I do go by Larry Legend. So Larry Legend Got in it. the NBA is the great Larry Bird, you know, Boston Celtics, number 33. So what about Eddie Murray? Eddie Murray is another legendary Eddie number 33. Murray. If you look at the number 33. We're going to relate it, it to Baltimore. Eddie Murray. Oh, I mean, well, I'm from Baltimore and I'm Larry Legend, I mean, so right? you know, yeah. But but Eddie Murray and was you're one of my three years old. Well, I wish. Yeah, that's <laughs> about, about six years ago. Yeah. So I just I love that number. I'm so excited. We're well, halfway through the year, I'd say now at 33 because mm-hmm. half 52 weeks, you know, is yeah. we're halfway. We're, we're doing half- math. Come I mean, on. why not? You know, it's, it's Do the some Scott Steiner man. Yeah, we started we have off with fans here. You got thirty-three third percent chance of beat me. You know, thirty-three. You know, so uh, yeah. But I'm excited, um, as I am every week, and yeah, we 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 were ready to come to you. We did film this after MCW Resurrection. That's right. Well, we actually filmed it before Resurrection. Yes, that's, I'm sorry, Tara. You're <laughs> talking about so many we, numbers. Uh, we had some guests in, in on the show that uh, that evening. We had Ray Lynn and Sam Adonis, and they took some time out before the show during all the busy preparations, getting ready for a first return back to live events, uh, July 24th. That was MCW Resurrection, and we got a chance to sit down and talk to both of them. Really, really cool people. I wish we could have talked to them longer, but we had a show to put on. So this is what we're bringing this week. That's yeah, right. And one of the things um, we should bring up about this episode is that that I, I we didn't get a chance to because like Tara said, we were pressed when we yeah. um, when we actually taped it. It was at just a couple hours before showtime and we needed to get production. But one of the things I, I had wanted to bring up with Sam Adonis and I didn't was his brother, um, Corey Graves. That's right. Yeah. Who um, ended up after the show, a couple fans tweeted at Corey Graves. Like, hey, we saw your brother, and then Corey Graves interacted with several of our, fa- our fans on Twitter saying, basically putting his brother over, saying he's better than I ever was. And Corey Graves and, has been a guest here at the MCW mm-hmm. Arena yeah. with Renee Paquette. Yeah. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, and he obviously he was an indie guy, and mm-hmm. you, most people, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that kind of stepped into the commentator's role due to injuries yeah, and just kind of has killed it. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. um, and killed it, and so people forget. Like, he was actually... A great wrestler. A lot of people compared him to CM Punk. Well, you, when you, he was on the Indies, you what know, was his, do you remember what his indie name was? That I am not aware of. Maybe our production. Sterling James. Sterling James. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. Sterling James. Thank you. Thank you, producer. It ain't gold. It's Sterling Silver. But here's the one of the interactions. Corey Graves said that his brother Sam Adonis, AAA star, ten times better than I ever was in the ring. Yeah. So he was. He was not only. You know, letting us know that hey, I'm watching y'all, but also let me let me break it down for you. My brother, ten times better than I ever was in the ring. And they came from a wrestling family. Are those the only two siblings? We didn't get a chance to talk about that, but I'm curious. Yeah. You know, is that something that other siblings have carried on, or if it's just the two of them? Well, yeah. you know, we always say we're going to have to get another ep- round with Bob Starr, <laughs> another round with you know. Uh, well, that'll be next year. We can do round two. You know? Yeah, why not? Well, a uh, flashback uh, podcast. <laughs> we have been known to resurrect a show or two, so why not uh, <laughs> resurrect? Quite literally, resurrection. <laughs> Touching on uh, how he got compel Corey Graves used to get compared to CM Punk. Did you guys? Oh my gosh! A couple weeks ago, did you guys see CM Punk return? Dan, how could we miss it? Um, I mean, crazy. It, it was it was a, a a good moment for wrestling. Even non wrestling fans were talking about it. Like I had people at work going, "You do that wrestling thing, right? Didn't somebody something really big happen over the weekend?" And you know, they didn't really know what it was or who it was, but they understood that it was something important. Yeah, it was um, from a wrestling promoter. Uh, it felt like there was some life. Not that wrestling was dying, but it just it felt refreshing and it felt like the beginning of something you know i can um, i can relate to that even if it's look you know there's a lot of people you know the way wwe presents their wrestling that were wrestling fans that 
maybe felt like it was too kid oriented and got out of it. So if it brings, I mean, look at one time during the Monday night wars, it was 14 or 15 million people mm-hmm. on a Monday night watching wrestling. Yeah. Um, and now it's, you know, on a Monday night two or maybe three on, yeah. on good weeks. So something happened to those gotten three in a long time. Yeah. Man. So something happened He's... to those 11 or 12 yeah, million right. wrestling fans. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know if it, if nothing else, if it brings some of those people back in, um, because they definitely, you know, you know, present their product in a different way. And mm-hmm. I think to a different audience, then it's good. Yeah. And, you know? you know, CM Punk was relatable. People identified with him. You know, he made it OK to be, you know, part of the straight edge society. Mm-hmm. He made, you know, not indulging in things OK and cool. And he just represented like that underdog, you know, like he didn't look like the other wrestlers. He didn't act like the other wrestlers. So people identified and they connected with him because he looked kind of like a regular guy, you know. But then when he got out there into this thing, it was like, oh, wow, this guy is really talented. You know, and he also departed at a time when, you know, there was a lot going on in wrestling and, you know, it, it was kind of shocking, you know, and so people, wrestling fans, we all know this can be kind of fickle. Like when their right. favorite guy or girl leaves, well, I'm never watching that again, <laughs> you know. And I think that was just this, just um, culmination of a lot of different things brewing at the time that it happened. And like you said, I think it is going to bring people back into the fold. Yeah, I think you like you. The, uh, the word relatable is really good for him because I think just what he talked about when he like how he wasn't happy. I think a lot of those, a lot of the fans and fans of AEW relate relate to that because they're fans that maybe were turned off by like WWE. Like this isn't right. This isn't the product. It's interesting. Cause I, I like, I I've always hated the term sports entertainment. I just hate it. So it's interesting hearing like when he says like, this is professional wrestling, like those mm-hmm. fans react to that. Like yeah. that term means something to mm-hmm. them. And it means something that like say the WWE almost intentionally has blacklisted yeah. right. that term, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's definitely good. It felt just something about it as a wrestling promoter, as a lifelong wrestling fan. Something about it felt like I I feel like this is the start of something. Yeah, they did it. Something fresh. They flawlessly executed it. And that was co-signed by the Jim Cornette, one of the most outspoken pundits in all of wrestling currently. He said it was done perfectly. Well, and if you think about it, it probably was, right? Cause, oh, like, absolutely. People were overthinking how's mm-hmm. it going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, is Darby Allen going to be in the ring and the lights go out? Is someone going to come out and jump mm-hmm. and he's going to save him? They were overthinking all these scenarios. And in the end, they just said, boom, here he is. CM Punk hit his music. Mm-hmm. He comes out. The people just lost their freaking mind. Yeah. And that was it. Like, they, they didn't overthink it. They just said, you know, they, you know, let it build, let it build. But here he is. Hit the music. Yeah. You know? I hope, I hope mm-hmm. in some, regard maybe he and colt cabana can become friends again but i bet you they aren't even allowed to speak due to like litigation from that whole fallout from yeah you know his time with wwe colt's a good guy he's always been really good to me love Um, colt cabana the ambassador for wrestling yeah Um, he's a good dude yeah Yeah. so maybe they can get past that yeah hope so yeah so a lot of things going on that how about SummerSlam, guys how about SummerSlam? uh i didn't get a chance to watch but i was i was Happy with the results of um, both of the championship matches, mm-hmm. the world and universal. I was concerned. There that were either, many championship matches. I was more concerned time. anything. I didn't fear that much that they were going to cut Roman off, but I was really fearful. Like, don't kneecap Bobby Lashley. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm glad that, like, Vince, it seems like almost he's, like, obviously they're they're invested in him. Yeah. And Lashley, which is good. I really, I've always, I've been a fan of him for a really long time. Yeah, they're I'm really in, glad they're invested into him. Thanks largely in part to Leo Rush. Uh, I'll tell you the one thing I didn't get to watch all of the show, but I did um, see. I was very dismayed at the return of the man Becky Lynch um, and her decide <sighs> yeah. like her crushing defeat of Bianca Belair. Who we bought up on the cast in the early episodes yeah. of the cast? I told you, Dan, she's gonna win the the Women's Royal Rumble. Yep. She's gonna go on and have this moment. Yeah, and you know, notwithstanding how popular and how great of a story it is for Becky to come back, but why not a competitive match? Why well, not a competitive like, match? But why another top baby said, face? Like yeah. you knew they were gonna, and and so she's healed now. That's the thing. Well, she oh, so Becky's a heel. Yeah. Be- Becky suckered her. She mm-hmm. went for the handshake. She said, "Hey, you're all shaking my hand before we do this match." Bianca. Like a dummy thinking, oh, I can shake her hand, mm-hmm. went in, punch, 
So exactly what you're talking about is exactly the thing that they do that why I was worried about Bobby Lashley. Mm -hmm. Right. They'll just do this stuff. It'll be like steam, 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 steam. And then all of a sudden, the rug, you know, just tablecloth, pull it out. Remember in the old Looney Tunes cartoon when Elmer Fudd would look at the camera and then he would turn into a jackass, you know, and he'd have the... Because I I honestly think think the Goldberg loss is what really cut off the momentum of Bray Wyatt when he was the fiend. 100%. Like it, just, it just hit it a was, wall. Wah, and I, wah, I remember wah, wah, watching, wah. seeing that and going, what yeah. did you do? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. That, so that's that's exactly why I was concerned. Like, oh, Can I ask you from a promoter standpoint, have you ever had, um, I guess those Saudi shows are what we call in the industry bought shows. Mm-hmm. So you really don't have to invest anything. You just have to bring the guys show up and it's all there. Have you ever had to make a decision as a promoter because you were doing one of those shows where something that just wouldn't make sense um, or, or would be the total antithesis of what we would present as MCW Pro, you had to kind of do that just just to, you know, because it was a bot show and, you know, like what, what I'm saying, mean? like thinking like the Saudi Arabia show, the Saudis wanted to see Big Bad Goldberg. They wanted right. to see like the Goldberg from WCW Nitro right. that steamrolled everyone, including the current WWE champion Bray Wyatt. Yeah. So, so I've had it where I've had bought shows. So and like the way they present it, like in Saudi, do they not? The girls don't wrestle, right? They finally did. They did the finally. last one they yeah, did. Yeah, they, they were did. covered they and they got they were, head to toe. They were had things yeah. thrown so, at them because some people. I've were had like, a couple bought shows where people like were adamant about a guy like a Matt Hardy or a Mick Foley or someone like that being on the show, and I'm just like, okay, well, he like if I got a price for the show. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't include Mick Foley and Matt Hardy. Like, so here's the price of the show because this is their price. Right, right. So I've had that. Okay. And, they, and they were like, okay, we'll pay that. Or no, we're not paying that much more. And I'm like, well, if you want, you know, Matt Mick Foley or Matt Hardy or mm-hmm. a guy like that, like you got to, that this is the price of the show. So I've had that. And I've had, have had people like pay more because they want certain guys, you know, big stars on the yeah. show. They're kind of fanboying or. You know what I mean? That they want this guy on the show, but um, I mean, I kind of imagine with the Saudis and the type of money's money that they had to give, like they kind of were saying, like, we're going to give you this, and this is what we want to see. So I was kind of getting at: Have you ever had to make a decision where it was like, okay, not only am I bringing in Mick Foley, but Mick Foley's going over in the Battle Royal and beating my champion and all the up and coming guys that have been on the incline just because you know I've been given this this you know directive from the I've had people that like have either bought shows or like what we call joint ventures that we did with like high schools and everything mm-hmm. want to like, you know, a guy to go over. Like the principal. Over. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh- and go over like, hey, we should. What if like these coaches like beat your tag team champions for the tag belts? That would be great. And I'm like, yeah, no, it wouldn't. No, not for the belts. Right. But they can beat the holy rollers. You know? And they did. <laughs> they they did. did it quite a you few know? times. So, like I could I could negotiate with yeah. you. Donnelly High, you know? you know, out there in York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherwood High and stuff. Mm-hmm. So things like that or presenting like back in the day when we've talked about like when we used to do a lot of the like bra and panties mm-hmm. matches. You know what I mean? And, well, you know, and the, and I was like, well, you know, we go into high schools and like, no, right. not, not only we could do that, but like a lot of high schools and all wouldn't even want the girls scantily, you know, right. really yeah, dressed right. like, They'd want them like they were in Saudi Arabia with not that even show and right. stuff right, like right. that. And um, so just things like that where like you get directives, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That like, hey, you know. You know, if you're presenting this or doing that or, you know, yeah. like guys have to be careful with their language and stuff when you well, go on like these roads. And, I, you know, when you have a situation like that, you can, like you were saying, make it a little bit different. Like you can't beat them, but you can beat the whole really rollers. So I think that what people were having an issue with with that particular match with Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch was that it was for the title. And, you know, like, OK, she's going to come back and she's going to turn. OK, fine. But maybe there was a different way to do that. And I think that just, you know, Bianca was so authentic in her pursuit of that title in the first place and i just felt like it was kind of like a slap in the face so I, as soon as it was over i just my i just went Ugh. like <laughs> think, yeah i, I like, don't know I whether well again so it's it's yeah because a lot of times the way they do stuff makes me go what so i can't even say what they're thinking would be is maybe they think there's you know that she's that bianca's really over as a face that there'll be money in the chase you know if, if they could make people care like man you screwed her 
and then um, there's money in the chase. But I think there could have been money in the Becky just coming back and just leaving her laying because she was, you know what I mean? I think yeah. there could have been money in the build up to right. them facing, right. you know, and, and pushing. This is Bianca's by far her biggest challenge. Right. And I have no doubt they will face each other and they'll have a hell of a match because they're both very, very talented. I just felt like it was, I don't know. I think Again, they, I wasn't like, nuts about it. I didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. they pulled the trigger because Punk appeared on AEW and they wanted to, at their big show, have a huge have a shock like, moment. Some, a shock yeah, moment that was yeah. talked about. You, that might be it. That You're sure. right. I never even thought about that. But that is because what all a shocking weekend, moment. All right. SummerSlam weekend, all people were talking about is punk. Right. And we don't want, we got it right. Well, yeah. and the thing is, they're still talking about punk and they're not, I mean, they're talking about that match as well. But like, you know, it, no matter what you did, it was probably going to pale in comparison. So, yeah. yeah. You know, you could even, even Brock came back and right. people are still talking about punk. You know, yeah. that happened I at the end asleep. too. I fell asleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brock came back. He looks <laughs> what about different. Look? I think that's what people different. love. Yeah. yeah. It's through the match, and then I was. Just it's tired. funny that isn't the internet funny? Like internet oh, wrestling yeah. fans, like people used would hate him. Like the internet, oh god, Brock, I'm tired of seeing him part time or this and that. He comes back with a ponytail, and everybody's like, ponytail, Brock Lesnar, this is all. <laughs> you know what I mean? In that yeah, color, you yeah. know what I mean? Like you know what I mean? And you just saw it. Just just like proves that they we want content. We want something. Yeah, give us a different variant of Brock. You know, fully. You know, in a sweatsuit, work it out. Yeah. Right. You know, so. Let's, that's what the thing is with wrestling is that you want to feel something, you know. Exactly. So that's and that's the whole roller coaster of a show um, is is feeling something. And you know, if you're watching a product that hasn't been making you feel something for a while, you either go find another product and you know feel something like Friday night with AEW, or you know you I don't know you just become like a passive fan, I guess you know where you're not really engaged in the product, you know. And then that's easy to just lose interest and stop watching. Right. Which... Well, you. Well, you know what we don't want to lose interest in is this episode of the cast. Right, yeah. And speaking of a roller coaster, this combo's been a roller coaster. We've just been yeah, we hitting get all to the our... topics. Yeah. But it, it, before we take a break and then get over to uh, this this episode, um, if you're watching uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast on one of the podcast platforms, please make sure you subscribe. Yep. Um, helps the algorithm. If you're mm -hmm. watching on Facebook or YouTube, share the feeds. And a huge shout out to our coffee club members. And I got a special shout out this episode okay. of the cast at Resurrection. One of our true blue longtime MCW faithful audience members, Brett O, presented Dennis with a Dunkin' Donuts card for us That's so right. that we can go on over to Dunkin' right at, in the uh -huh. MCW Arena parking lot and get fueled with some good old fashioned Dunkin' before the cast begins. That's so great. thank you, Brett, for that. And with that said, we're going to take a brief break. But when we come back, Triple-A star Sam Adonis and the lovely Ray Lynn. And fans, we are back and joining us this time in the studio, the lovely Ray Lynn and El Rudo de las Chicas, Sam Adonis. Did Welcome. you do that right? I yeah. am proud of him for doing that. He's been practicing for 10 minutes now. <laughs> well, I still can't roll the R's. You know, that's a, a Roberto Rodriguez. You I know. can't do it either. Yeah, it's I all can. good. Thank you for having us either way. This is something we've both been looking forward to, coming back to live pro wrestling action here in Baltimore. Joppa or Jopa? Joppa. Joppa, <laughs> to be exact. Yeah. And uh, I think we're excited to be here and see what MCW is all about. Um MCW's had such a big reputation for all these years. I know personally I'm excited to be here. So hopefully we get, get things rolling and, and can move into 2022 with uh, a more consistent schedule than we had before. Well, how about we make 2021 special too? Yeah. Let's do that. Let's finish this year on strong. Let's do this year strong. That's yeah. right. Well, a special moment for us here in 2021 was uh, Ray, your debut on MCW Breakthrough. I remember um, wasn't too long ago and mm -hmm. got a tremendous feedback from our MCW faithful watching those episodes. What was that like for you to to step into the MCW arena for the first time? Well, like Sam was saying, I've always wanted to work here at MCW. It has a great reputation. Uh, it was awesome to come here. Renee, Michelle, and I, uh, we've known each other for a long time, but mm -hmm. we've never got to face each other in the ring, so that was special. We even trained at the same dojo in Japan, so it was really cool. Oh, did you train there with her? When she was Not there? at the same time. I went a year later than her, but right. she put in a good word for me. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, that, well, you know, that's the thing. Like, even when... There's a lot of people on the indies I always it's I always want to bring in and, and hear about and want to bring in. But like 
we have our regulars. We have a school of people where, you know, it, it's only so many. It's it's hard to kind of maneuver the chessboard mm-hmm. and get people in when you want to get in. Well, um, the thing is, I feel like MCW has such a, a strong core of, of its, you know, local wrestlers, mm-hmm. but it also has such a huge reputation amongst the other independent wrestlers. This is definitely a destination promotion that a lot of people want to come in for, so it makes it even harder to keep that you know keep the yeah. doors rotating if you will yeah it's and i appreciate that yeah it's well not flattering. too many not too many independents have what 23 years worth of, 23, no. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of loyal service to the fans running shows i was actually going to mention i came to an mcw event in must have been 2002 or 2003 oh, wow. outside of the hard rock cafe in the inner harbor oh geez i, was oh, actually, I remember that i worked that yeah. i was there i think i fought mark schrader on that event i think yeah. that's the time when we had mark on as a guest did yeah I, i'm trying to think if i did what, I mickey? mickey yeah i think I you did, did. Yeah. mickey james yeah those oh were God. some fun events they were fun they my were dad fun. was actually a promoter in the oh. pittsburgh area so uh when i was a kid we were always scouting talent and just going to any independent we could find throughout the northeast we knew that was happening we've always loved baltimore the city and the, you know, the Inner Harbor itself was fantastic. So we came. I do remember somebody fell off the ring or, or into the water or something. Yeah, was, that yeah, that was, it was, was that Nick, Nick Tarantino? Was it Nick? Yeah, it was Mario, yeah. wasn't it? Nick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And that water down there in the oh, harbor. <laughs> it's pretty gross, isn't oh. it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they literally will, well, I mean, look, people, Baltimore's got its own <laughs> reputation. It's, They'll pull dead bodies out of there yeah. a lot. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, I mean, another I dead like body. That's any body of water you're going to find yeah. dead bodies. But it's kind of like in the news yeah. so much that people don't even pay attention to. Oh, another <laughs> dead body was found in the Inner Harbor. Baltimore. It may be dirty water, but it's your dirty water. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, right. right. Any sort of body of water near Marty Janetti needs to be drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after that, those comments he made about the guy's body. Anyway, that's another anyway. topic for another day. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and and Sam, AAA star, uh, what's it like south of the border down yeah, are there? They, are they opening back up and uh, all down there? I was actually surprised at how strict it is down there. Um, they're doing a great job just keeping everything regulated. Everybody is so tight with all their masks. But um, it's just awesome to be back there. Wrestling in Mexico is just such a big part of the culture. And, you know, I've been gone for two years, and now it's so exciting to be back there once again. Um, I got a really good opportunity with AAA. I'm in a pretty uh, prominent role as one of the top bad guys. El Rudo de las Chicas, if you will. So, <laughs> right. yeah, I'm really looking forward to see what's going to happen. But the nice thing is, you know, I'm able to maintain a schedule between Mexico and the United States independent booking. So hopefully we get to come around the, the MCW a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll be looking forward to seeing a lot more of you here at yeah. MCW. And our, Ray, you... Our- Fans were definitely impressed with Raylan. I have you to popped tell you. up on a couple yep. like AEW darks, right? Have you done? Oh that? yeah, I did that in March, which was really nice because I took the winter off um, for personal reasons. I really didn't want to be wrestling, but it was cool that that was like my first two matches back. So yeah, AEW dark, and I was a little nervous because I'm like, do I still remember how to do this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess it's like riding a bike. Yeah. You don't really, forget. even though I wasn't wrestling like on shows. Sam and I train all the time. We train every week. We have access to multiple rings in our city, so that's pretty cool. Oh, that's and and I think I think just, you know, collaterally, she has seen more obscure pro wrestling I than have. I have on YouTube than any other women wrestler ever has. Right. So we'll be watching some Dutch wrestling from the nineteen sixties and she she kind of can't get away from it. I so. can't. <laughs> Did you guys both come up in the Pittsburgh area? We did, but we didn't know each other because we're uh, Pittsburgh's like there's so many bridges and tunnels. And if you live on one side of the tunnel, you probably don't go to the other side of the tunnel. Kind of crazy. We actually didn't become good friends until we ran into each other at the airport one morning. The day that she was flying to Japan, I was flying to Chicago and I was like, oh, hey, there's Ray. What's going on? And we just started talking, you know, just just being a friendly face. You know, she was nervous because she's. First, you know, first time going to Japan. First I've been time there f- anywhere overseas by myself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Terrified. <laughs> it was just a funny situation. And now I look back at that almost as like a, a really cool way to meet, you know, just yeah. something you couldn't really control. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so you, I, I, I wrestled a lot of the Pittsburgh Indies um, back in the day. T-Rantula. Yes. Lord Zoltan. <laughs> yeah. These are the guys that I actually grew up around. Yeah. Um, my dad used to promote a wrestling company with T-Rantula called FNW. Uh, my dad also worked closely with Jim Miller, who ran PWX at the time. So, you know, from probably 1990. 
PWX or was that when it was NWA? This was PWX before it was NWA okay. East. But, uh, you know, I grew up around it. My dad used to sell these sponsored shows and just all over the Western PA area, there'd be bot shows and I'd be running around backstage with all these wrestlers. Right. So uh, I definitely think it shaped me in a very unique kind of way, you mm-hmm. know, going around, growing up around the, the live action circus, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But these are the people I grew up with. And, you know, I remember seeing you at the Golden Dome and for uh, ECW. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. I, yeah. That was that was when Balls Mahoney knocked me out and i was still standing (laughs) was when he he, yeah i I remember that that was like concussion number do you remember that or were you told now you kind of remember that you know what i remember i remember getting yelled at when i got back in the locker room by like rick rude or and paul hayman because they thought i was like no selling the chair (laughs) (laughs) but i wasn't no selling the chair he hit me so hard he knocked he just turned my lights out yeah you know but that was balls in one of those old warner brothers cartoons (laughs) yeah like sylvester hits you know, or before we knew what CTE was, yeah, right. Yeah. That was that was definitely, <laughs> yeah. That's, that'll definitely be responsible for future CTE that I have. <laughs> so, Sam, you were you were kind of born into the industry, Ray. If you don't mind me asking, how did you get like wrapped up into this wild and wooly game of pro wrestling? My story is probably completely different than anyone else's. I did not watch wrestling growing up. I had some friends that did, and I would play like with their action figures and stuff with them. But I actually didn't get into wrestling until I was 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. Um, My father passed away. Uh, He committed suicide. It was a really hard time in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the first week I went back to work, the guys where I worked always watched Raw. And for whatever reason, I used to always be like, do we have to watch this? But for whatever reason, that Monday when I went back to work, I was just watching it. And I'm like, this is really cool. And every week I went in and we were watching it. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't want to be a bartender and I don't want to cut hair anymore. I'm like, I want to be a pro wrestler. For whatever reason, that was the idea I had in my head suddenly. And I had to do whatever I could to make sure that was my dream, you know? Mm -hmm. So I went into work and I told my boss like, hey, um, this is my last day. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm going to, and that was at the Harris place. I said, this is my last day. I'm going to just bartend full time. I got to save up money. I'm going to pro wrestling school. And then I started looking at pro wrestling schools. Like it was a choice to go to college. I (laughs) went to all schools everywhere and I chose OVW. So, okay. That's where you trained. Yeah. Yeah, I trained at OVW. Good decision. I think so too. I did a lot of research and I checked out different places. And I just remember one place telling me like oh we have top indie wrestlers and i didn't know what an indie wrestler was so i was like well i'm not going there (laughs) (laughs) right so and when i went down to ovw they're like john cena randy gordon and i'm like okay i'm going here yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so i packed up my car um i moved in with some girl i met on craigslist she was nuts and it, yeah, that was my journey. That's where it started. That's how it goes when you move in with someone you meet on Craigslist. You know what? Yeah. That's what's cool about that is that's the type of passion you see that it was that it's from like people that it was like a lifetime dream. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they're like, hey man, I want to do this, and I'll pack up my car and leave. I'll live in my car. A little different mm-hmm. from you know yeah. from someone that just decides to do it. But like speaking of Renee, was the same way. Did you find it hard like training? Like for instance, like I I always would now. It's been a decade since I've been the guy like physically in the ring training people. But when I started MCW and started training people back in 98, it it always was me. And I always would find it hard for the the, every once in a while we get people that weren't Mm -hmm. lifetime fans. For me, it was always easier when I'm referencing and say like, oh, like, you know, remember beautiful Bobby or Rick Root or guys like that to reference when the way they would move in the ring and stuff. And people be like, yeah, then when people would be like, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> like yeah. everybody, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, I was so clueless. Right. But I didn't want anyone to know. So I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then like I go home and I they exchange. That was a big place. Then I'd buy all these wrestling DVDs because I didn't have cable. Mm-hmm. I had a DVD player and I would go and buy all these different things and I'd watch what they were saying and I'm like okay that's what they're talking about but I had no clue and it showed it really right. showed for the first two to three years I think <laughs> it's funny though I think she has a bit of a competitive edge just from the school that she went to yeah um, you know yeah. there's a lot of people I'm around on the indies that that really aren't even at her level and you know they might have been around 10 or 12 years mm-hmm. because a lot of people are learning you know poorly through their experiences um, you know, just being taught by Al Snow and Rip Rogers and everybody through that door, you know, I'm able to relate to her on a, on a wrestling capacity just because right. she does have that good upbringing in wrestling. Well, 
yeah, I think that's I. It's really important to go to a good school. It really, yeah. really is important because I could have went anywhere and I had no idea what wrestling was, and I could have had a completely. I could have been down the wrong path, but I was taught. I think I was taught really well, and I think I was taught like at least psychology yeah. wise. Yeah, and, and you're a hundred percent right. I I've said for forever. Um, you know, for the guys that run my school now, and all we always had these conversations. Like, you know, I've wrestled, been a trainer, been a promoter. Um, it's really hard to deprogram someone that went to a terrible school and just did terrible indies. It's way harder to deprogram someone than to just teach them from the beginning. You know, it's easier mm -hmm. to just teach them from the beginning. It's it's a lot, you know, because I've had people that have, you know, for for, you know, probably seven or eight years, we had MCW and we didn't have a school because I had shut it down mm -hmm. and then I... I was like, I didn't want to head that direction again. I just wanted to focus on shows. Um, and then there was other local schools that, so since we didn't have a, we weren't have our own students coming in to, you know, become talent, we'd say, oh, this guy, are, and, you know, the, the schools aren't that good. So it would be more frustrating. And that's what kind of got us to like back in the, you know, RJ and Pat back in the day were like, man, we got to reopen a school because like these young guys were getting from some of these schools in the area, like, they're horrible, you know what I mean? And it's harder to get them to break bad habits and go back and say, hey, listen, you got all your basics. You know, it was, so it, you're 100% right. It's just yeah. so much easier when someone comes in with a solid foundation than when they're trained completely wrong. Well, a lot of it right now in the wrestling industry, there's so many, you know, so many decent wrestlers, so many wrestlers moving to the next level, but, you know, there's no guarantees in wrestling. You can do this for 10, 12, 15 years and never cross the finish line. Right. So, you know, through natural progression, the next step is to open a wrestling school. And now I think there's so many different philosophies on wrestling schools, you know? And, yeah. and I mean, in one city alone, there could be six to eight different companies. And, you know, everybody's going to preach basically on, based on their own experience. Right. You know, I think at the end of the day, when someone, you know, decides to pick a school, you need to go somewhere where they have the, the experience and, and the track record, you know, like right. an OVW, like an MCW, like a Ring of Honor Dojo, places like this that have, you know, the experience and the quality of trainers. Oh, yeah. and I hear people say this all the time. They'll come up to me and yes, ask my opinion on things. They're like, well, I'm just going here because it's cheap. I'm like, okay, oh. so that doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Going right. somewhere because it's cheap. Like, I want quality. Right. Yeah. So I literally... Every penny I made, I was so broke. I was so broke. But every penny I made went to wrestling so that I could go to a good school. Because if you want something, you're going to invest in it. Mm -hmm. So cheap and free training. Would you get a free tattoo? You, yeah. You like, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people. <laughs> I bought a tattoo on Groupon, and it ended exactly the way you think buying a Groupon <laughs> tattoo would end and yes with I had a cover up how's your cover up <laughs> yeah hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a cover-up from a guy who actually won uh ink master but anyway yes <laughs> i learned my uh, yeah we went from one extreme to the other but yeah you're exactly right like if, if this is gonna be a, in case the tattoo a permanent mm -hmm. part on your body this is your career that's your permanent part of you like of course it you're is. gonna invest in it and buy the best thing it's also your safety yeah so if you're going to this place and these people don't know i've heard of people getting their backs broken in training mm -hmm. and their necks and and stuff like that like yeah. i've okay, had that some me. bumps and bruises <laughs> but i mean i don't know it's just you need to invest in yourself yeah it's i broke my neck on a sunset flip out of the corner in training oh so but you know it was well dan was there <laughs> he remembers it wasn't pretty it was like it wasn't as bad as marty's ankle break <laughs> oh that was worse that was definitely which was worse. way yeah. worse than connor mcgregor's ankle well, break i mean i mean from like people doing Marty, canadian destroyers and training yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Not yeah. like a, yeah it was something yeah. simple well in the and, case of oh, my case bad. it was that the was girl bad. was just scared so yeah. she sat on me buckled yeah, I, can't, oh, I can't. <clears throat> Speaking I of Connor Graver, I can't even watch those injuries anymore. Yeah, I, I see that now, and I just get this, you know, chill over my body. I was I blocking. I was blocking people mm. that were po that were reposting. Oh, I can't do yeah. it. The Connor McGregor thing, oh, like yeah. muting them because I'm like, I can't even look at. Uh, I can't even look. That at makes that. me sick. Yeah, when I was a kid, I used to love watching all those hardcore matches and death matches and horror movies, blood, guts, and violence. Now I'm like afraid of it. I'm, oh, I guess, you still you know, watch those <laughs> horror movies? But we yeah. we like we watch them like this. We're like, is it over? Yeah. Is it over? <laughs> well, that's the appeal of a lot of that. I mean, some of us right. even make a living off of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. I watch horror movies like that with my 12-year-old daughter. 
but yeah, mm-hmm. all right. Chicken. Daddy, you can watch this. Oh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I like horror. I don't like blood and guts so much. No, no, no blood but, and guts. And I, I hate the videos, and I can't help but watch them. But when someone posts them online of somebody, you know, who jumps off the top rope and all, th- both their legs uh, buckle, yeah, oh, like, yeah. I watch them in the way that you know you kind of turn and look at a car accident down the side of the road, but then I'm like, oh, oh, like I can't watch it. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ugh. So are the Indies up in Pittsburgh area? Are they back up and running? Do you still got a bunch? As far um, as I know, I think we're back up to a hundred percent capacity in yes. Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a we have an athletic commission that is nowhere near as strict as the Maryland State <laughs> Athletic Commission, but we appreciate them. And and Mr. Serb, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we're up to about a hundred percent now. We just did a show for IWC, Justin Plummer in Pittsburgh. Uh, they just had seven hundred people for the. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Ross Draper Ice Garden. Where they oh yeah, the, that was where, that was where I made my ROH debut. Yeah, Ring of Honor ran there. ECW ran yeah. there. They did the uh, Mark Curtis Memorial Show in '99 there. So it's a, a legendary Pittsburgh wrestling venue. So they just packed the place, and uh, I think everybody's just chomping at the bit to get back there full time because yeah. there's a lot of talent up there, a lot of you know young hungry talent as well. You know, waiting for the opportunity, but. I mean, I think we're all so starved for it that I think the fans especially are going to win because there's going to be more and more shows. And, yeah. and the more people that are there, the better atmosphere is at the show, the more fun you have at the show, and the more likeliness you are, you know you have to go back. Yeah, I think indies in general like are probably going to thrive the next couple of years based off of like you know the AEWs and WWEs like kind of probably not doing house shows, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it's just doing kind of TV Wait, because are they it's doing gonna... one tonight. Uh, WWE has a house, has show, a house show in Pittsburgh tonight. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like cutting them way back, right? Oh, yeah, they're dropping sure. them way back, you know? And I think, I mean, it, you know, indies can thrive, you know, with having that live aspect. I, th- I think it's everything, Joe. You know, we've been starved for all entertainment. I think, you know, the yeah. statement, don't know what you've got till it's gone, is, has never been more true than true. now. Yeah. Right. You know, whether it's live music, live wrestling, you know, or just going to the bar with some friends. Yeah. I think people are going to be very, you know, very accepting to just, get out of the house and do whatever they can. Yeah. And one thing with professional wrestling is that, well, like here, we've run here for, what, seven years now, Dan? I mean, we've been around for obviously much longer, but we've this run in this building, I think, seven, eight, seven yeah. going on yeah, eight, eight years. Eight right. Years, yeah. So we've got the same fans who, you know, sit in the same seats every time. They've built this sense of community. Like, I see them interacting with each other on social media. And these are people who would have never met each other in any other walk of life. They've now found this, like, family here, mm-hmm. like, with us at MCW. And so that those connections, you know, because when everything kind of, we press pause on everything, those people weren't necessarily running into each other or seeing each other. And so, like, everything just kind of froze. I think a lot of independent wrestling in general is kind of like what you're saying. I think a lot of the local fans look at it like their home team. Mm -hmm. You know, I think most fan knows that independent wrestling is not going to be on the level of a WWE or an AEW. You know, that's million dollar productions with some of the best talents in the world every night of the week. I think people are just happy to have quality close to home. Yeah. You know, and I think this is what I admire so much about MCW is it's even so much further above a lot of the other independents with the production value and the quality of talent, you know? So I think a lot of these fans just want to come here and and they look at it. Yeah, there's WWE, there's AEW, but this is Baltimore wrestling. This is my wrestling. And I think that's why they're, you know, they, they wave the banner so strong. Yeah. And we, I think our, our our history of, of guys coming from us and starting out at our school, um, you know, and kind of making it has has helped a lot too. I see that in our credibility, like, right? Yeah. The guys like the Leo Rushes and Mickey James and all mm-hmm. they they all like they were our guys, or you know what I mean. They kind of you. I see that a lot, especially with fans. It's weird now we have fans. I've, I've seen see fans at some. It's like a dad, a son, and a grandson. Yeah, generations of wrestling. Like, hey, you know, I used to bring my son. Now my son's got a son, and we all come mm-hmm. together. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Interesting conversation thus far. Uh, we do need to pause for a little bit of internet station identification. When we get come back, Sam, I want to hear about your origins. I mean, obviously, we know you were kind of born into it, but when you started to train, we want to hear a little bit more about that. We're going to take a brief pause, and we'll be right back with more of the MCW cast. And we are back here live in studio with our guests, Ray Lynn and Sam Adonis. Now, Ray, you told us a little bit about your origin stories. And we know, Sam, you grew up in the industry. But what, what around what age did you make the decision, like, I'm getting into this and I'm training? And whereabouts did that happen? Oh, wow. Um, I was 14 when my dad decided to buy a new wrestling ring for me to train in. Um, as a kid, I was the biggest wrestling nerd you could imagine. Um, I, I think I use the expression, if, if you... 
if your parents own a bakery, you probably know how to make a good cupcake. So <laughs> growing around, growing up around that, I was just obsessed with it. All aspects, the history, you know, international wrestling. I was a big tape trader. I was a collector mm. of all the old stuff, you know, FMW, New Japan, AAA, everything in between. I was just ate up with it, and I knew I was going to be a wrestler. I didn't want to be a wrestler. I just I knew that's what I was going to wow. do. And I was actually a very heavy set kid. Um, I was about 300 pounds when I graduated high school. I, I wasn't athletic at all. I couldn't do anything, no sports, was no luck with the women. I was just kind of a nerdy fat kid. But wrestling was always there. And I was always kind of, you know, I worked hard to get what I got. So when I was 14, my brother took me out in the backyard, set up the ring, and ran me into the ground. I had to do hours of, you know, drills and training and, and running around the house. Old school hard work training, you know. Yeah. So that started about 14. And uh, I actually took a few a few years off. There was time where I wasn't able to train. And then formally, I, it all really started again when I was 17. And that's when my brother got a couple other students in the Pittsburgh area. And we ran together as a class. So, um, I mean, it was three days a week. And we were just, you know, the... The Hindu squats, the running, you know, the, the blow up drills till you're throwing up. Yeah. And, you know, right about that time is when the weight started to fall off. I was <laughs> well, able to I take imagine. it a little bit more seriously. And, and I knew I had something because, like I said, I wasn't good at anything else, but I could, you know, take really good bumps. I could move. I had good footwork, things like that that weren't exactly normal for a guy my size. And that's when I, you know, it all started to click. So I debuted on February 2nd of 2008 when I was uh, 18 years old. And it's been coming up on 14 years this coming February. Wow. So I've been around the world. I've done some cool things, and I've met some cool people. But I, I'm definitely happy with the way things have gone. Right. Did they drill you a lot in OVW? Did they do a lot of drills and stuff? When, yeah, when we did a lot of drills. Um, I remember, I just remember having, like, bruises on my back <laughs> and my butt from the ropes. I never I, thought, like, people were like, oh, it was yeah. bumping horrible. I'm like, no. I, could, I did karate. And I and I did uh, kickboxing, so I was used to taking a fall, but we didn't have ropes that we hit in the boxing <laughs> ring. So. I brought this up before on the podcast with other female guests that it's the rope marks. Those yeah, it was so was, painful. Yes, that that's my memories as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think just in general, like a couple of years ago when I messing around with RJ and Joey and them were down the school and I had, hadn't been in the ring in six or seven years and I just started getting in. Like, the, that was the thing for me the next couple of days. It wasn't even from taking bumps, my back and my ribs from the, the rope. From the rope. Yeah. Not doing that. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot. Yeah. What's that? You know what I mean? Hurt. The problem I always have is the bursitis sacs in the elbows. That oh, started, yeah. started when I was probably so 16 gross. or 17. Mm -hmm. I had them for the first time. But now, to this day, every third or fourth match, they'll pop back up. And it's just a fluid sack that yeah. hurts to the yeah. touch. Yeah, yeah. like two elbows. Yeah. Really yeah. nasty. Yeah. Oh. I know exactly what you mean. Check in with me again after the show tonight. I'll show you. <laughs> <shake, laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, um, uh, Tara, did you, were you going to bring up something? Well, yes, I was. I was you like that? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Because I started talking before my my brain caught up, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" Oh, the, the so Larry and I do a lot of silent communication. We've worked together for twenty years now, and we will do a lot of silent back and forth. So, all right. Well, Thank you. I, what I was going to bring up, and I'm not sure if we're quite there yet, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about like your character, um, and how you've, you know, uh how you portray yourself like down in Mexico, um, you know, your character like on the indies, that kind of thing. So that was where I was going with it. All right. Well, for, <laughs> for those who are listening right now, if you do know me, there's a good chance you know me because of my controversial gimmick south of the border where I played a, a Trump sympathizing patriot. Um, I was actually walking to the ring every match with an American flag with Donald Trump's face on it. Uh, this is in Mexico City, where our former president would say some horrible things about the Mexican population. So needless to say, I was able to garner a lot of heat. Um, it was it was something that I didn't really ever put any thought into. It was just, you know, we call it in wrestling cheap heat. Yeah, to yeah me, right. it's, it's, you're just sure. doing it. You're just it's, doing your thing. Right. You're it's no, over, right? no yeah. different than, you know, than, than the Iron Sheet coming out with the Ayatollah on the flag. Of course. Just something that was, you know, spur of the moment and it happened. Well, as soon as I did that, I got a phone call from uh, NPR 
They said, hey, we're going to come down to Mexico City and, and uh, film your match. I said, okay. Hmm. Next thing you know, Reuters. Next thing you know, Vice. Next thing you know, GQ. <laughs> wow. In 2017, I... I, I would probably say I was the most publicized professional wrestler on earth in 2017. Wow. And and I, I will stand by that. You can search Sam Adonis on any news engine right now and you're going to get, you know, 150, 200 results. Vice did a documentary about me. Univision did a biopic about my life where they hired actors to play me and my family. Wow. I mean, absolutely absurd things. It's almost stranger than fiction. You know, I couldn't yeah. write this story. A lot of wrestling is. <laughs> the funny thing was, you know, I, um, a lot of them tried to paint the picture that, you know, I'm actually this horrible human being that's race baiting. And I would answer the same thing every time. It says, it's professional wrestling. Right. I'm, a, I'm a bad guy and I want to get my butt kicked so you get sent home happy. And a lot of these news agencies were just like, wow, that's that's really cool. You're willing to like, you know, you're, you're not the cool guy. You're the bad guy and you want them to hate you. I'm like, that's my job. Right. So uh, we were really able to get a lot of attention for it. I did it, like I said, just kind of tongue-in-cheek in the beginning, just to kind of, you know, get everybody to, to come and boo at the show. But, uh, yeah, I've never been – I honestly, I lived in Mexico City. I had a Mexican uh, family that I was living with down there for the time. I've never really cared about politics. I think, you know, you're, you're everybody's right. the same all over this planet, you know, whether it's Mexico, Japan, Puerto Rico, England, you know, people are one. And, and I think pro wrestling is one of the beautiful art forms that brings everybody together, you know? So I think that pretty much, you know, it, it, if, if you really dissected it and looked at what I was doing and, and, you know, the circumstances around my life, you'd realize that there was nothing, you know, evil and, and backhanded about it. It's just, you know, playing a character on TV. And in the end, it's just, you know, got me a lot of exposure and a lot of, uh, you know, avenues and opportunities that I wouldn't have without being such an evil supervillain. Did the heat, did it get like real toxic down there with the heat? A couple all? times. There was a few times. Uh, the one time I was on lockdown in Arena, Mexico, they have these riot doors and I had no idea what was going on. In hindsight, being 2020, it was kind of scary. But uh, I came in into, after the match. I wrestled with a guy named Negro Cassis, who's a legend down there. I came in, and my boss, who, who speaks English, she goes, Sam, wait here one minute. Next thing you know, it's just me and her, and we're locked. And everybody hears this stuff going on outside. And I'm like, what's going on? She, goes, just, just, uh, she said, just wait, just wait. So after about 20 minutes come by, more people come inside and whatever. And she told me that we were on lockdown because there was a shooting in the parking lot. Yeah, there was, it, was, it had nothing to do with me. It was, it was just gang-related violence in Mexico City. But because I was literally the top heel and the top angle in the company at that time, Sam, you're staying right here. You know, you're yeah, not going like, anywhere. We're not even going to chance this, Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that was pretty wild. Um, another time I was actually followed outside of an arena. Um, Mexico City, you don't see very many Escalades. Just, there's not as many there as there are here. So when you see them on the street, you kind of notice, you know, and you also notice when they have their windows all tinted and dark and, you know, kind of looks like the, the, you know, FBI surveillance van or something like that. So I walk outside the arena and he's parked up. I take a few steps and he starts inching towards me. Oh my goodness, he's following me. Take a few more steps, he keeps following me. So I start, uh, I take my time and I'm talking to a bunch of the fans and everything. And I had a good friend of mine at the time who said, hey, go get the promoter for me, please. The promoter comes out, I said, this guy's following me. And he goes, no, he's not following me. Trust me, he's following me. So he ended up going over, got the guy to put down his window. They had like this little, you know, tense argument type thing. He comes over to me, he goes, Sam, you go in your car now and you leave. He said, you don't stop for gas, you don't go for food, get out of town right now. Apparently someone inside was text messaging one of the, the local villains that, hey, this American's running around, you know, running his mouth with an American flag and Trump's face on it. So, uh, you know, someone kind of tried to come and deal with me. <laughs> Really? Oh, wow. so so that was that was probably the scariest Scary situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, you know, most people were just were really cool about it. Took it for what it was. Yeah, right? a lot of the fans down there, you know, it's it's just like here. A lot of the fans like the the bad guys just as much as the good guys. Yeah. So the same people that were screaming at me and flipping me off and you know swearing at me are the ones that come up to me after the show for a picture and a handshake. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They know that they they understand the rules of the game. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, Lucha Libre is such a big part of daily life down there. Mm -hmm. I worked for a company called CMLL, Consejo Mundial course, de Lucha yeah. Libre, and uh, we worked in Arena, Mexico, and it's actually regarded as like probably the second or third biggest sport in the country. You know, baseball, soccer, and wrestling are mm -hmm. in the sports papers. You know, these guys are regarded, and I mean, 
people would come up to me on a daily basis and just want autographs and pictures. We'd be at the, the market downtown and say, hey, there's that wrestler, you know. It comes with such a respect that uh, I think it definitely might have saved my backside a few times. Right. Yeah, right. you've attained a level of celebrity just in the regard that they hold the sport. Exactly. Uh, pro wrestling down there in Mexico. Exactly. I mean, I, honestly, there's there's probably been a few times where I was targeted by somebody and said, hey, the next guy that walks around that corner is getting his head kicked in. And then they see the six foot four, two hundred fifty pound American walk by. Say, eh, maybe the next guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Ray, I wanted to go back to you know you mentioned your your origins in the game with OVW. I mean, we all know OVW and the reputation. They used to be a developmental league for the WWE. And you mentioned you know the John Cena, the Randy Ortons. During your training, were there any? We ask a lot of our guests this. Did you did you share the ring or share training time with anyone? who then went on to maybe, you know, go to some heights that, uh, you know, were notable. Yeah. So when I started, it was actually TNA's um, ah. development. Oh, that's right. They, they partnered yeah. with them for a little so bit. So I didn't right. know who TNA was at that time either. I did a lot of studying. Yeah, yeah. I really <laughs> like it. But um, <laughs> but that was the developmental school. Um, we had Heidi Loveless, who ended up being oh, Ruby, Ruby Riot on yeah. WWE. Okay, she yeah. was always an amazing, like, some girls can be really mean. She mm. was like first person to come up to you and she was just very kind so it was good to Do see you her feel go like to places. it's more cutthroat with the girls in wrestling um like... based on what we talk about like what sam tells me how the guys are and how the girls are i think it's better now than it was don't you think it was pretty bad it back like, you, like when like i real, started like real toxic here. with the girls it i mean was, we're yeah, a little exactly. older than you so we're going back <laughs> into the cool. 90s I mean, you know, this was eight years ago, yeah. and a lot's changed in women's wrestling in just yeah. eight years. I remember I had to do cameras one day at OVW, and I'm not going to say who did this, but I was on cameras, and for no reason at all, this girl pushed me and knocked me over. For no reason at all. There, mm. It wasn't caught on camera. She wasn't getting heat for it. She did it because she was a jerk. Yeah. Um, and just, like, things like that. Or someone would tell you, oh, this is a good idea just to make you, like, look bad. Right, bad, yeah. So yeah. it was, like, you really had to be careful when I started. I feel like it's less of a toxic uh, atmosphere now. I feel like we're really trying to work together. And, I mean... Yeah, I, I definitely think it did. I always <laughs> feel that as a wrestling promoter. I'd like, because I don't... We'd be a promotion that would always have a couple girls, and I feel like... Anytime it would get more than like two or three girls, it was like you could just tell like they were trying to like oh, cut well, cut mean, each other off yeah, at the knees have, and stuff. Yeah, and the claws, the claws out. are yeah, out. I mean, the yeah. crazy stuff with all women shows. It, yeah. But we worked tons of all women shows in the early 2000s. You helped us get booked on all these ones. And I remember you telling us you girls just work together. So it was like me and it was Candy and Mickey James. Like we would just drive to the shows and work each other. Like we just, you know, because well, yeah, you could we see couldn't it. trust see the, the other and ones. And they were trying to hurt you. Also, the level of training was, yeah. it's all over the place. It wasn't good. So, but yeah, well, we just would stick together and work each other. I feel like a lot of times, especially when I started, girls would finish the beginning class. They would go do shows and someone would be like, oh yeah, you're so good. And they would never go to training again. Right. So what they knew, mm -hmm. After that, however long, for me, my beginner's class was only three, four months long. Mm -hmm. I took it twice because I was really bad. But um, that's six months of training. Yeah. And I'm like, if I would have been done training at six months, right? and some of these girls are like, yeah, I'm good. And it's like, you're not. You need to keep training. And the, the, the unfortunate sleaziness part of it. I know where, you're, like I know where you're going. Like yep. the promoters might book them because they're trying to hook they're up. Women, you're, oh, you're yes. good. You're good. You know, good mean, you're great. You know, but but that's not beneficial to the girls yeah. because, no. like you said, they're getting. I think it's a there. it's a bit of a double edged sword. I think. I think uh, you know, it used to be a little bit more cutthroat and you know just harsh, but because it was more harsh, uh, it was kind of the survival of the fittest You're right. Yeah. and there was You're a right. higher level of wrestler coming out now it almost feels like you know you can't even you can't even push your students too hard or, or yeah, they, you know yeah. and now you well, there's 850,000 wrestlers all of which who would rather be the champion of a small little independent company mm -hmm. than actually work their ass off and become something in this wrestling business so i think it's a slippery slope you know and, you, and it's a hard medium to find Right, you know, right. Like, Somebody willing to put right. the work in and, and mm -hmm. take enough of the, you know, the hard work and being pushed, but still be able to There you know, has persist. to be criticism. I think people get criticized in their daily jobs, so mm -hmm. you should be getting criticized. People should tell you whenever something right. isn't good. Like, and and in wrestling, the heart, that old school mentality, harsh was like kind of like getting slapped around and all, but 
you know what I mean, is a little more heart, but the the bruiser who was passed away, but he was like my first student from back in 97 and then really ran the school. We would always have this because I, I got trained by Axelney and Rotten and just right. got beat up and mauled and just degraded, you know, mentally and physically. And but it made me better. You know what I mean? Like you're you know what I mean? Like sure. the, that. It, so I RJ would always we'd have these arguments and I'd say Ar, like it has to change. Like we have to find this happy medium to teach, but it also can't be. You know, because like you, people are so happy. Mm -hmm. People, you know what I mean. You can't. And it seems like anymore now, there's certain like uh, you know pockets of demographics, and right. if you can somehow get over with that demographic and convince that people that you're a good wrestler, now you think you're a wrestler that you're not. Right. There's plenty of wrestlers out that there that say, yeah. I'm one of the best in the world and this and that, but they're literally working for the same three promotions, you know, and, and right. wherever they're at. Right. It's just it, there's a lot, a lot of uh, what would be the word, just. Uh, Disillusion, yeah. smoke and mirrors. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know. There's even wrestlers who put their own shows on. Yeah. You know, they'll build right. a whole, uh, you know, not to name any names, but no ring show around them or, or something. There are a couple names that have popped up and they consistently pop up. And it's almost like there's only so many times you could see an advertisement for this wrestler doing something that you start to think, oh, this guy's a big deal. But right. you, exactly. you haven't even seen the wrestle right. one match. Yeah. It's crazy because social media has really transformed, I mean, I, probably every avenue of business. Right. But it, wrestling especially because you can make yourself look good with just a couple clips and that's yeah. how you get booked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you might true. know nothing but you have the prettiest drop kick ever so <laughs> right. here's something a buddy of mine said he said in this day and age all you have to do is be good at the internet yeah it's true yeah. Yeah. it is true yeah you know and that's kind of a tragedy but at the same time i don't know like you said you know you'll get sued now you know if you try to you know make it hard on one student to really bring that toughness out of them so it's almost like we're losing a bit of the yeah that edge that yeah. I, lo you know, I look at it a little bit like music though whereas like now you know the, the music industry's has changed completely too because of a lot of the electronic musicians you know it's easy to make a, an ed a a, a avicii style song i'm not saying it, i'm not trying to discredit not easy but you know it's something that you don't necessarily need years of training or, or right. you know poetic ability mm -hmm. but at the end of the day I think the American public still holds in a higher regard Ed Sheeran than they do a, a uh, electronic right. musician. I think wrestling's the same. I think a lot of people, you know, you see these guys that get out there, get their attention for being one trick ponies and it might work, might help them, you know, along the way. But, you know, they're still always going to appreciate a Daniel Bryan or a, or a uh, CM Punk, a lot, you know, right. a little bit further than just the one trick ponies. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a delicate balance. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that in my personal circles of, of wrestling that we talk about and Dan, I think you and I have shared this and bringing up Bruiser. We're the gatekeepers now yeah. of like, you know, like sort of, you know, holding people accountable for like man, you didn't even pay your dues um, yeah. the yeah. way that, you know, someone that is your caliber would. Uh, it's a delicate balance, but, you know, hopefully all's well that ends well, and we'll still be doing these shows for 50 more years. It just is going to evolve before our very eyes. I hope we all can live with it. <laughs> right, right. I just got to get better at the internet, that's all. Yeah, that's the way. That's a way to get... I, I just moved to Mexico, media. so I don't understand what they're saying to me, you know? Oh, there you go. That's a way of just, it. just avoid the BS. <laughs> is it on, uh, the wrestling down there, is it a lot on social media and all no, that? Not there, nearly, not, not nearly as much. Down in Lucha Libre, it's just... It's, the best way to look at it would be like a sport. You know, it right. really is. It's all aspects of everyday life. You know, there's 12-year-old yeah. kids at the gym doing it. So yeah. it's a different way of life. But it's not, I, I would say uh, it's because it's so sport-oriented, it's a lot harder to, to fake your success. You right. have to earn it. You have to prove yourself. Yeah. You can't just go out there online and say, you know, I'm the best wrestler because there's 150 wrestlers better than you that are you know going to call you out. Yeah. Can I ask you this, Sam, uh, coming from somebody that's kind of immersed in the deathmatch wrestling scene, I've been noticing over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, just amazing, kind of terrifying looking junkyard deathmatch wrestling that's been coming out of Mexico from a promotion called Zona 23. Zona 23, yes, yeah. yes. I've always <laughs> wanted to go to these events. Um, I am not a deathmatch wrestler. Did you I, know he loved death matches? Is that why you brought this up? <laughs> well, I, I'm curious. I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of announcing uh, La Reina Extrema, Sadika, and a few of these other Pagano, a few of these other death matches. Pagano is a good friend of mine. Okay. Uh, well, I actually have a match with him next week in Mexico City. But um, I'm fascinated at the culture that surrounds death match wrestling in Mexico. Um, it's kind of scary. It's kind of seedy. But I feel like these guys are actually going to kill each other. 
because they they're going for that attention that you know we're talking about for the internet clout you know just being the the baddest guy in the block in mexico actually means something and i think a lot of these guys you know they don't care about the money they don't care they just want that attention for being the toughest deathmatch wrestler especially when a lot of what they're seeing is american deathmatch wrestling that are actually trained wrestlers you know doing it a certain way these guys are just copying what they're seeing and they're saying well we're tougher than those american guys and they're literally doing stuff that i i, I hate to say it but it's not going in the right direction that's I, what i was going to ask oh sorry i didn't mean to cut no 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 I, I was going to ask are they trained in this style down there but some of the guys like, are no. trained okay. but it's not about that that's okay. not why they're there you can have a guy some guy might be a really good well-trained wrestler but he's just coming to show how tough he is so he's not going to you know it's it has nothing to do with the skills you you know possess from wrestling it's just about how crazy and sadistic you are i mean when i look at it and i've seen a few clips it almost seems more akin to fight club than an actual yeah. wrestling uh you know like storyline and you know i'm the champion and i'm gonna beat the bad guy it's, it's almost like are you tough enough to hang and the it's reflected in the fans sometimes they chant really cruel things about you know this you know el gringo es puto el gringo uh, mm -hmm. over and over and over um when some of the the american deathmatch wrestlers go down there and brave you know being in that environment i just uh i wanted to pick someone's brain who's around yeah, it you i know? i honestly i've never been to one it's in an area of town where i was told not really to ever go uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not, you know, and, and here's the other thing. I think a lot of, you know, American fans, and it's not just deathmatch wrestling, it's just, you know, American fans only have the knowledge that they possess of a product, what they've seen. You know, so just because you've seen it on Twitter doesn't mean anyone in Mexico has seen it. Mm. This is still such a small, you can't say, I mean, let's say, for instance, there's a thousand people at this event. The American indie fan that sees it can say, man, it's huge in Mexico. Yeah, they're doing big crowds. Nobody in Mexico sees that stuff. You know, it's it's under-level, you know, low-line yeah. entertainment, and it's not mainstream. Most wrestling fans are looking at that as, you know, exactly that deathmatch wrestling. It's 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 almost non-comparable. Non you know, it's not the same sport, you know. Like apples and oranges. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Wow, wow. And like I said, I, I can watch some deathmatches, man. I've, yeah. I grew up watching Onita and Big Japan and uh -huh. stuff, so I... The wrestler in me is not a fan, but the the sick guy in my head loves it. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> that. I've only ever I'm, I will confess I've never watched like an entire deathmatch show ever. Like I, I've I watched won't. little clips and stuff, and I'm always it's like a little repetitive. Eh, after yeah. the way, the way, how many panes yes, of glass can exactly. you? The way I got into it yeah. was this '90s FMW wrestling, mm. but the circumstances around that made it dramatic. It was a year long storyline culminating in front of fifty thousand people paying hundred and fifty dollars a ticket. Wow. in Kawasaki Stadium. So there was drama, energy, mm. you know, it, it was big money and a big... Now, you know, to, to go in, in a VFW hall and, you know, roll around in mousetraps is kind of different. Or someone's yeah. backyard. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You know? yeah, or the I jungle mean, that, that's, yeah. that's where the... Yeah. Like, where do they draw the line now? Right. You know? That has no appeal to me whatsoever. Is there a difference between backyard wrestling and, and amateur wrestling now? You know, I, where do you draw the line? It yeah. used to be very clear. Yeah. You know, used to people say, hey, if you do that, you can't do this. Or, you know, don't be wrestling in the backyard. Now it's kind of like, oh, hey, we're doing this show here next week. So it, it's... I don't know. It's different for me. I don't know. I don't know enough about it, I guess. Well, it's the evolution, and it's one of the reasons that I brought it up as a topic of conversation because I know you've been, you know, immersed around that culture. So I wanted to hear, and also for our MCW Faithful cast listeners, so for them to get a little insight into some of the the underseated belly of uh, pro wrestling down yeah, in uh, I didn't even I didn't even side. know I didn't even know until yeah. you brought it up that there's this well know, I'm getting an education myself you know, when, uh, we, when are we bringing death matches to MCW I passed the Maryland Maryland State yeah. Athletic Commission we're gonna get kicked off the air just for talking about it I think I just never been that's just I just I don't know I not I'm a I'm a believer in you know not asking people to do anything I wouldn't do right. and um, you know even when we'd have the army base shows um, at Fort Meade and um, we would do barbed wire if it was like me and Axel or me and RJ oh that one. Um, yeah. I would always be the one to do it yeah. you know because I'd say well I'm not I'm I'm not gonna I, I'm gonna do it before I'm gonna ask anyone else to right. roll around in barbed wire but I never got as crazy as like sure. the light tubes I mean I 
did like thumbtacks. You did fire, Dan. You got powerbomb through a fire. <laughs> fire. I was there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, like the light tubes crazy. is crazy. <laughs> the light tubes is insane to me. And how many people have you seen like the light tubes? Well, here, here's oh. Gage. Nick here's Gage, right? Question, Nick Gage had almost died, right? He, he almost died. Technically, doesn't doesn't the these these fluorescent lights have radon in them? Don't they? Yeah. So yeah. do we not? It, it, did we just give up on that part? Uh, like, yeah. Like, right. That's, that's bad. Throw them in the yeah. trash can. Like you have to take them to a special yeah. bin at the dump. Like you breathing well, them, yeah. In and I, I just them over your head is a very bad idea. It's, I just, I don't know. I just, I it's just, you know. But and, and when I did those couple matches, we're talking like two or three that we did, but we built to it, like with me and Bruiser. Mm-hmm. Axel was involved, um, and we told a story with it. But it, it wasn't like we weren't going out there and you know we're just. Like leaving completely covered in blood right. and sliced up, and I think yeah. there's a time and a place for all of it. When yeah. it's done right, it's good. And there's yeah. still some of the guys today that do it great. You know, yeah. when the right circumstances are involved, mm-hmm. it can be very exciting. But you know, just it's it's got to be something you know for a right place, right time. I don't know. I think there's enough of a market for it, so it's probably not going anywhere. Yeah. All there definitely is. It definitely well, is. Well, and with niche. social media and streaming everything, anybody anywhere can watch this stuff. So if you like it, Mexico City, yeah, you, can, right. you can find it and watch it, you know. Yeah. Well, with that said, we had one heck of a conversation yeah. on yeah. this episode of the MCW cast. Um, Th- that would have been the last thing. I-, I didn't expect to talk about Deathmatch Wrestling <laughs> here on the MCW right. cast. <laughs> it's a credit to, you know, Dan bringing us all together knowing that Tara has her expertise from you know teaching and Larry's out there doing death matches you know, <laughs> you know wrestling all over the place I'm not sure my my expertise translates well to this conversation well not this one but other we, guests yeah. other right yeah but it's like bringing us all together but, so we can just talk about it talk it out yeah. cast. And so, yeah. communication indeed and with that said uh, we're, yeah we're, it was a pleasure having you guys on yeah, thank, you. thank you we'll be looking forward to uh, talking to you and seeing more of you right here at MCW Proud <laughs>